when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning everything they were told, and the people were amazed. You ever have one of those moments where the person you were waiting, hoping someday to meet, you finally met, and when you met him, you thought, I'm not at all like I thought they would be. I don't mean that they're less than the person you, they were just different. Maybe they're just a little more common, more down to earth than you were expecting. Paul Arant tells a story some years ago, true story of a mother and her boy went out for a drive around the Christmas day. It was Christmas break, actually. They just wanted to get out of town, they said, and so they went down this country road towards the woods. Snow started falling heavily. Mother made a turn in the car, hit a bank of ice, and went off the road into the ditch. Tried to back it out, but because she was not from Michigan, she didn't know how to do that, you know. So they finally, after trying, got out of the car, decided to walk up the road. Mom saw a farmhouse with some lights on, decided she'd knock on the door. Maybe there would be help. She knocked on the door, may I use your phone? The woman at the door said, well, of course, of course you may. Come on in and let her use the phone, call for help, said if she could get her something warm to drink, she would do that. And it wasn't long before help arrived and got mother and her boy back and down in their car and pulled them out. The woman in the farmhouse <laughs> was still paralyzed because she recognized the couple at the door. It was actually the queen of England and her 10-year-old boy, Charles, who would be heir to the throne. She said later, I uh, always hoped I'd meet him, but I never thought it would be like this. You ever had that where you've met someone and just thought, man, it was, I was expecting it to be different. The backstory to the Advent this year has been that. We've called it the ironies of Christmas because we believe it is in Christmas God reveals his true self to us and he is not like what we imagined. We always wanted to meet him and then when he shows up, we think, I never, I wasn't expecting it to be like this. And the idea is that God reveals himself not only in the person, Jesus Christ, but in the circumstances surrounding his birth. If you were God, there's a thought, you could do anything you wanted, you could have it any way you wanted, you decided that it would happen like this. And when Christmas comes, you have to re-examine what you thought you knew about God because of the way he showed up. Not this. I didn't expect this. The image I have of God, said C.S. Lewis, is not a divine image. It must be shattered time after time, and it is God himself who shatters it. He writes, is there a more clear evidence of his presence that our previous image is in ruins? And he uses the incarnation as an example. He says, in the incarnation, all previous expectations of God lie in ruins. And most who see it are offended. Blessed are the few who are not.
There is no irony probably richer than the one in Isaiah's image. Isaiah 57, you heard Aaron say it a few weeks ago when he said, speaking as Yahweh said, I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And you wonder to yourself, this one that we can't wait to meet, the high and holy, I get that, but how can you take someone whose glory fills the heavens and put him in someone who is contrite and lowly? How can you take someone that holy and make him the offspring of that lineage? How can you take one who is high and lifted up and pack him in a manger? One who is all powerful and can do anything that he wants and make him run from tyrants. He's not at all what I expected him to be, someone else. Our image of God is shattered. This leads us to the shepherds. Why would God take this night when so much was on the line and entrusted to people as unreliable as shepherds? That's the thing I can't understand. It it seems like in this one, there's almost three different like ironies and they're layered and each layer is more fantastic than the previous. The first layer is just that the angel appears uh, to the shepherds and not to the first couple. Again, in a perfect world, you'd think the angel would go first to the couple. It's true that Mary saw an angel and Joseph had a dream, but you guys, that was nine months ago and a lot has happened in the last nine months. And recently they've been loaded on the back of a donkey and went 90 miles to a town that was not theirs to pay taxes with money they probably did not have. And the night that the child was born, nothing sensational happened so far as we knew in the nativity. Mary was not singing Silent Night. Joseph was not singing Holy Night. There seems to be no evidence inside the nativity itself that what just happened was exactly what the angel said. So if you're Mary and Joseph and it's been nine long months and you're looking for some confirmation, now would be a good time for an angel to show up and bring some closure to this. Yes? He does not. He appears to somebody else. Shepherds, that's the second irony. If you think of the birth of Jesus as ground zero, the moment God entered the planet and the one who was from the beginning, we have seen with our eyes, our hands have touched him. So big is this moment that it cuts history in halves before and after the year of our Lord. And you you trust that to shepherds? Shepherds were among the lowest of the low. It's not just that they were humble, simple men. 
It's that um, they were usually dishonest men. And they had among the worst reputations. I've seen four lists. Rabbi listed occupations that fathers should never teach their children to be. There were eight of them. And among the eight is a herdsman or a shepherd. You were asked not to buy milk, meat, or wool from a shepherd because you could never trust them. They would always use an advantage to take advantage of you. Because they spent most of the year in the fields, they were never in the temple. And because they were never in the temple, they were virtually forbidden there. Their testimony was not admissible in court as evidence. They were not allowed to run for office unless they repented and got out of the, repu- out of the occupation. And it was hard, said the rabbis, for a shepherd to repent because he could never remember all the people he had cheated or injured and so he could never possibly go back and make it all right. So you've got among the least reliable people on the planet and everybody else to pick from and (laughs) with all due respect or not, You pick them? One rabbi listed shepherds down with the dung collectors, tax collectors, camel drivers. In one person's language, those who cut down beautiful trees. What? Another one listed them with men who use orphans' money to do their own business. That's an opportunist. And yet, these are the people that God gives the message to. And if you argue, well, they were different kinds of shepherds. I mean, maybe, but we don't know that. Do you see the problem? which leads to the third irony. You give the most precious message to the least reliable witnesses, the people nobody believes. And the third irony is the people actually believe them. (laughs) When they show up, they spread the word and the people are astonished. They're amazed and Mary is pondering in her heart and she's the words treasuring these things that the these are not going together. You see kind of the rub in the story. When this first hit me, I the first thing I did, you guys, was to kind of back up and and I looked at all the characters. And I mean the ones from Matthew, the ones from Luke, and it as I looked at them, it seemed like on the night that Jesus or God landed. <laughs> On the night he arrived, it seems that God started to collect around himself a chorus of different kinds of people that he wanted close to him. Some of them were faithful and devout souls like Simeon and Anna. Some of them were quiet, thoughtful people like Mary and Joseph. Some of them were a little louder and rambunctious like wise men. 
But then there were those who were marginalized and untrustworthy and unpredictable like shepherds. And it seemed as if God was giving to each one of these characters something that nobody else in the story got. For instance, only Mary got the angel, only Joseph had the dream, only wise men got the star, but to the shepherds, it was a word that no one had heard before in connection with the birth. And the word is gospel. The shepherds heard the announcement from the angels, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news, good tidings. I bring you gospel, which is great joy to all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's gospel. Everybody had something of the story. Nobody had everything. What the shepherds had was that what just happened there was the gospel. And when that hit me, I started wondering if maybe in the shepherds we have a picture of the way God intends to spread his gospel. This is how the gospel will advance. This is what God wants from people when it comes to spreading the gospel. And it made the irony even deeper because I couldn't imagine that God would spread the gospel with people who were that far on the margins. People who were, as I said, not just simple. They were highly uneducated. They were unpretentious. They were uncivilized. They were unpolished. They were crude. But they were thoroughly convinced. They knew what they had seen. And they knew what they'd heard. I wondered how much of the gospel today has been taken over by evangelists. When what we need in a culture like ours are witnesses. Evangelists are people that believe something and they come with explanations trying to get someone else to believe it too. Witnesses are people who've seen something. And they show up with experiences. And their purpose is never to try and convince the other person. It is simply to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. And so evangelists make statements and witnesses tell stories. They tell their own story. Evangelists try to lead people down a predetermined path. And witnesses 
just answer questions and get stuff out of the way. The more I soaked in it, you guys, the more I worried that the gospel had been shared mostly by evangelists, at least in our culture. And this is what makes so many of us feel like we're not prepared, like we can't do this, like we don't know what to say. We're afraid that we're going to get into a conversation with somebody and they're going to ask a bunch of questions that we're not going to be able to answer. But the truth of the matter is, if you've ever been in conversations with people about this more often than not, they don't ask a bunch of questions for which you don't know the question. They, they just want to know what happened to you. What have you seen and what have you heard? I don't mean to put down um, formal training and apologetics and education and polish and preparation and... Uh, in arguments, I just mean to say that most of the world today isn't that. And most of the, cir- of the circumstances we find ourselves in don't require that. They just require someone who has been with him. I think of Acts chapter 4. When the apostles showed up before the priests... And the priest said they noted that they were unschooled and ignorant men, but they noticed that they'd been with Jesus. See, there is something about that that is unmistakable. And when you see it, it is highly contagious. And so the chief priest said to the apostles that they better stop proclaiming this name of Jesus in the public courts. And the apostles, scared out of their lives, said to the chief priest, you decide what is right. We can't help but share what we have seen and heard. There is something natural, primal, reflexive, instinctual about this. When Christ changes someone's life, they tell people, even in Mark, when he says, don't tell anybody, they go tell them anyway. (laughs) If you're going to disobey, that's one good time. You, You can't help it. You don't sit down and calculate and try to figure out some predetermined place that you want to lead the person to. You don't show up with two pockets full of gospel. You show up with questions and a story of your own and you get into the predicament with a person and you ask questions and you listen and you don't know where the end point is. That will occur to you partway through it. So you can't really lead somebody so much as listen and tell them what you've seen and heard. You come alongside them. 
And when you tell your story, they hear theirs. And when the shepherds came, they saw the child and Joseph and Mary. And when they had seen him, they spread the word to everybody at the nativity what they'd seen and heard. And nobody who was in the nativity had all of the information. Like I said, somebody, everybody had something. Nobody had everything. And so while the shepherds started to talk about a vision, they heard words that Mary and Joseph had never heard. Mary and Joseph knew that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The shepherds had no idea this was true. They only knew that this was the gospel. And when they got into the same place and they started talking about what each of them had experienced, Mary starts pondering these things. That's a funny word in the original language. It means to put things together. It means to connect the dots. And so while the shepherds are talking, Mary, who knew something but not everything, started connecting the dots. And it started to make more sense to her. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but this just seems like a better model for bringing Christ to someone. He's not so much something we present. He is the God-man. His name rises organically in the conversation while we are listening and sharing what he's done in our lives and while we are sharing, it occurs to us that while the other person doesn't know everything, they know something. Something has happened to them. God has been there before we get there. And he's already been using circumstances and passages and people to stir up interest in this person's life. And it's when we come together with those people in that holy space. They're astonished. I can't tell you how many times somebody in our church has told me that they don't belong in this church. Sometimes they, they say that they are unpolished, they're uneducated, they come from suspicious origins, they never know what to say. They're too afraid. Their personality. It, it, it always surprises me the number of people. In, some of you. And I'm never always surprised how many times we intimidate one another. And then we use 
all of those reasons to disqualify ourselves from ever doing what we want so much to do, and that is to talk about Jesus. Do you not know that all the while you were talking yourself out of those things, you were talking yourself into those things because the shepherds are every one of those things that you fear you are. You would be surprised how much you don't have to know to talk to other people with confidence about the person Jesus Christ. Just tell them, what has he done for you? Why do you choose to be and remain a Christian? Answer that question, and therein is your testimony. What has he done for you to get you to the place where you are at? Tell them. And the Holy Spirit will come with power and a plan of his own. Give him room, people, but give him something to work with. Are you with me? So here's how we leave today. We're going to leave, um, well, as Paul said, not with wise and persuasive words. We're going to leave, in Paul's words, in weakness and fear and in trembling, not with human eloquence or human wisdom, but Paul said we're going to leave with a message that has the demonstration of God's power. We're going to go into conversations this week or the next about what happened at Christmas, and we're not going to know what to say. We're going to be intimidated, but we're going to remember when we are there that Jesus promised us that God would put the words in our mouth, that we couldn't possibly know now what we were going to say then. He said, when you're speaking, it will not be your words. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And so even though we are unprepared and most of us unpolished and not sure how we're going to bring the name of Christ into the conversations, we're going to do it anyway, aren't we, when the situation allows. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is still the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I give you good news this morning. You don't have to be afraid for unto you one has been born and released on the world and he is Christ the Lord. God with us forever. Amen.